John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And joining us is Brady Henderson from ESPN.com. And so, I guess, uh, you know, the thought that, boy, can you continue to just outscore everybody and play bad on defense and be able to win finally caught up to the Seahawks? Yeah, and it seemed like it was a matter of time before this was going to happen with the way that they have been living on the edge with, the, you know, obviously an offense that is putting up all the points that they need it to, but a defense that really has been getting gassed at a historic rate. And with all those games that have been coming down to the wire, not just this season, but that's dating back to last season. It's now 17, excuse me, 16, I believe, of their last, no, 17 of their last 22 regular season games have been decided by one score or fewer. They were 14-2 and two in those games heading into last night, and you just figured that as good as Russell Wilson is in those late-game situations and as much as you trust him, that they can't keep pulling out wins like that at the end, and especially with the defense um, being what it is. And, um, you know, they've needed Wilson to be almost perfect, and he was not perfect last night, and you saw what happened. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, the three turnovers, very unusual for him. But I don't know. You know where did you stand on the total let Russ cook? You know, what I liked is, you know, the the ability to, you know, go quicker tempo, some better, more first down passes, and the mix and the run. But right now, when you look at it, I think things are getting a little bit out of whack because even though they have the two-digit two lead, uh, you know, and they're right now a team that has 61.5% passing and 38.5% uh, run, which that's so different. And, of course, when you have like 39-plus uh, dropbacks and pass attempts and all that, it puts them in a position where you have more turnovers. Yeah, that was always one of the downsides of that. And and I, I mean, I, I thought that the Seahawks, you know, in generally I agreed with the idea, yeah, of putting the ball in the hands of your best player more so than they have, especially early in games. And the downside of that is, I mean, Pete Carroll even said this flat out, you know, when you drop back as many times as they did, you know, throwing the ball 50 times, that, um, there are going to be some mistakes there. And that was always, I think, one of the, the not, not totally a counterpoint, but one of the points worth mentioning in the offensive approach that they have taken before this season is that it really protects the ball. Now, you, maybe you don't maximize uh, your scoring chances, but by and large, they've done a pretty good job at protecting the ball. So this is the downside of it. You know, I thought the, the other part of the whole Russ, let Russ Cook conversation is not just necessarily letting him throw more often or letting him throw earlier in games it's also um comes down to i think putting the ball in his stand in his hands more often in critical situations where in the past you've seen them lean on their running game and you know earlier this season you saw them do them you know trusting wilson on fourth down in the atlanta game uh there were other fourth down chances that end of half situation in miami so they have they have trusted wilson more in terms of putting the ball in his hands in key moments. And that was what was surprising to me when they didn't do that on that final uh, possession of regulation when and they took over with, I think, 225 left. They were up by three points. Really a chance to put the game away, and they dropped back to pass on the first play of that drive and then ended up giving the ball to Carlos Hyde four straight times, including that unsuccessful third and two attempts uh, that, you know, that, so the whole sequence got Arizona's burn its timeouts, but it did not keep the clock moving. And that was a little surprising to me, just seeing how much faith they've put in Wilson in those situations this season. Yeah, one thing that I kind of wonder about is that, do you think that now in the red zone, they're trying a few too many uh, 
horizontal type passes that have certainly, in the case of Buda Baker, got them in trouble with the long interception return. Yeah, that could be, and that was a play that I know that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks felt pretty good about, something he said that they had worked on all week, and, and the difference there was that I think Russell Wilson said something post-game about how the, the defensive end made him put a little bit more air on the pass, if I understood what he was saying properly, and that gave Buda Baker the time to sneak underneath there and, and pick that ball off. Um, the other one, the second interception to DK Metcalf, he said that was the result of kind of a miscommunication where it was a scramble drill and he thought DK Metcalf was going to continue going, but instead he broke his route off. And I thought oh, just watching it live that it looked like he almost was caught in between maybe trying to fit the ball to Metcalf, but also trying to maybe throw it away. And that's why it, it sort of floated uh, and would have landed just, you know, barely out of bounds. And so he said that was a miscommunication and, um, you know, he, he he sort of made the point that with as much success as they typically have on those scramble throws, that you kind of have to take the bad with the good because there's usually more good than bad. Yeah, no doubt. And so that was the uh, the challenge that they faced and the challenge that they were able to go. And so in the end, it's like okay, so now uh, the big I guess the big story <clears throat> is now finally the lack of pass rush caught up to them because they had the incredible stat of 48. Uh, dropbacks by Kyler Murray and no quarterback hits. And the last time you saw something like that was in Indianapolis back in 2014 when they had 49. Yeah, and I think it was even worse than that because he, he he attempted 48 passes, and I think he probably had more dropbacks than that that turned into scrambles. So, um, yeah, that was – I mean, you know, you figured that, that he was going to be a hard guy to bring down. He had only been sacked nine times, I think, going into the season just because – He's so slippery and he's so quick, but they just didn't give themselves enough chances to get him down. I thought, you know, not even finishing with an official quarterback hit, let alone a sack on that many attempts. That's, that's problematic. I think, you know, some, there are maybe some qualifiers there where it really looked like on certain plays, you saw Shaquem Griffin start to rush off the edge and then he backed off uh, looking like he was spying Murray. So maybe in, in some cases, the priority was to keep him contained more so than it was to pressure him. And also looking in, at the numbers in the ESPN database, they only blitzed him on, I think, 8% of his dropbacks last night. And that was the lowest percentage of any defense uh, in the NFL for Week 7. And Arizona, on the other hand, blitzed, uh, uh, came after Russell Wilson, I believe, 50, 51% of the time, which was the highest mark of any defense for Week 7. So it gives you an idea of the different strategies that they took. Now, ideally... If you're going to take that approach, then you're going to keep him in the pocket better than they did, but they let him get outside a few times in addition to not bringing him down for a single sack. Yeah, no doubt. And so uh, now what uh, thoughts are you on the injury front? Because obviously concerned that Chris Carson has a midfoot injury. I always worry about that because, you know, I guess I'm always tied up into the Liz Frank and I don't want to put anything into it. It's supposed to be just a sprain, but uh, thoughts on the Chris Carson injury. Yeah, these are always difficult to, to gauge without uh, you know hearing uh, from from the team what the MRI, MRI results are. I mean, I remember Pete Carroll, you know, after the uh, New England game, he thought it was you know a sprain, a knee sprain for Bruce Irvin, and ends up being a torn ACL. So uh, that's why I would get that's the qualifier I would give when saying that yes, Carroll did call it a midfoot sprain. I have heard myself that initial indications uh, are that it does not appear to be something long term, but we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, wait and hear back what uh, happens with the MRI, both for Chris Carson and for Travis Homer. And I'll say this, you know, I, and Pete Carroll mentioned this on the morning show too. They missed Travis Homer in there, and you know, people will wonder, well, why does Homer get those opportunities when he does not seem to have much 
success when he runs the ball. Well, he's carved out a role as that two-minute back, and the skills that you want for that two-minute back are a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, a guy that can be explosive, and a guy that can pass protect. And they really missed his pass protection late in that game when Arizona started sending a ton of blitzes after Russell Wilson. DJ Dallas is, is considered to be good in that role, but he's a rookie who has not played a ton of football, uh, and, and Homer has played more than him, and, he, and he's pretty good at that. And that's why they trust him in those situations. So they missed him late in that game. Yeah, it doesn't sound as though uh, Rashad Perry is going to be back for this week. I did not get that impression. Oh, yeah, you think he might? No, go ahead, John. Yeah, you think he might be back? Uh, no, I'm, I'm saying I, I, I got the same impression as yeah. you. I did not get the impression from Pete Carroll that, uh, that, that Penny was going to be practicing this week. Usually um, it seems like when the guy is going to practice, they know by Monday whether or not he's going to practice that week. So... Um, he did. I, I noticed that he did sound as though he's expecting Daryl Taylor to come back uh, at some point this season. In addition to Penny, uh, I think we all figured that Penny would be back at some point. But it, there seems to have been uh, some question of late as to whether or not you know they might get Daryl Taylor back. And Carroll said that they're looking forward to whatever he can give them once he does get back. Um, doesn't sound like that'll be this week, but at least it sounds like. Like he's going to be back at some point this season, and as we all know, as we all watch that yeah. game and we watch those first five games, they need him. No doubt about it. And of course, I guess the big elephant in the room right now: does John Snyder go out and try to make a trade for a pass rusher? Because it certainly looks like it's still needed. I'm sure he's going to try. Yeah, and I, I just don't know how realistic it is when you look at how much draft capital they're already missing. Um, you know, they don't have a first round pick. Uh, next year's draft they don't have a third round pick they don't have a sixth round pick i believe they have an extra seventh but they're not going to get any and not projected to get any compensatory picks so you're already talking about not a lot of draft capital to work with and as we all know you know with the way this roster is getting as top heavy as it is and maybe even more so if they pay uh, Adams this offseason then you really need that cost controlled talent and again, you also need pass rushers. Yeah. I, I can understand if, if, why he would certainly try to make a move there. I just don't know how realistic it is. There's also some salary caps there, too, that would complicate that further. Right. So what do you have on ESPN.com? Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm writing something on uh, Tyler Lockett's uh, big night, obviously, um, in a losing effort, but certainly something that needs to be recognized and needs to, uh, deserves a deeper dive just because that was a performance for the ages. Um, and then that's all I've got for this week as far unless I'm forgetting something yeah my brain might not be operating yeah mine the right same now. way hey Brady yeah. thank you so much Brady Henderson from ESPN.com thanks John okay uh, and don't forget you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app it's powered by the Dubin Law Group coming up next we get out the report card John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle it's time for the report card with the professor professor and the you get know, each day, we look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories, we take the anecdotes, we take the social media comments, we also take the voices, and we attach grades to them. And so on this wild and woolly week seven in the National Football League, and of course near, near conclusion of the uh, World Series, college football going on, what do we have, Curtis? John, we've got plenty to get to on today's report card. Let's start with what happened on Friday afternoon, Tampa Bay uh, announcing They've reached an agreement with controversial wide receiver Antonio Brown. 
Uh, this coming about a year after Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Bucks, saying that they will not sign Antonio Brown. Uh, well, he's on the Bucks roster now, and Bruce was asked about it following yesterday's game, following their win over the Raiders, uh, about adding Antonio Brown to the roster. Here is what he had to say. I think just let the court system do its job. I mean, allegations, I've been around a lot of players that had allegations that weren't true. Some were. So let the court system handle it. And uh, if, if it's found out to be true, he won't be with us. So, John, a very fair answer from Bruce, Bruce Arians, you know, saying, hey, like, we'll let the court system figure this out and then we'll go from there. Uh, how would you grade Tampa Bay's handling of their signing of Antonio Brown? I give it a C minus because it's just so sloppy. I mean, in the sense that Bruce Arians, you know, came out in, I believe it was May, and was asked about Antonio Brown. He says, no, we don't need that in the locker room. And you talk about the diva effect of uh, Antonio Brown, who, you know, played for uh, Bruce when he was in Pittsburgh. And, you know, then we find a social media comment made by Antonio. He says, diva, how can you call me a diva? Look at you. I mean, you're wearing that silly hat and all these different things, and you don't communicate well, you know, ripped him. And, of course... This is this is the guy that you want in the locker room. And so, again, you add talent. I mean, let's put it this way. It's, <clears throat> when, when I watched the Patriots yesterday in that game against San Francisco, God, are they slow at wide receiver. They only have like seven catches with their tight ends. I mean, they've got nothing going around Cam Newton, who looks awful right now. And then you look at the, you know, Tampa. I give them credit for adding talent because – you know, certainly when you have the talent, uh, you know, they've got Shady McCoy, who has like six carries, you know, potential Hall of Fame running back. I mean, you know, they picked up Leonard Fournette. You know, they have, you know, uh, Ronnie, Ron, Ronnie Jones at running back. And so it's like, uh, hey, they got so many players around Tom Brady that maybe that can help. Yeah, I'll give Tampa Bay a D plus uh, on this one. Uh, I just I would not be comfortable adding Antonio Brown to my roster, and it feels like Tom Brady uh, has been a little too comfortable in bringing in Antonio Brown over the last couple of seasons. He did it in New England. Uh, he he's doing it now with Tampa Bay. Uh, whether Bruce Arians wants to say you know Tom Brady didn't have anything to do with it or not, like he, he still to. yeah he had to exactly like this is. Tom Brady calls the shots in any organization he goes to, and it's definitely the same here in Tampa Bay as it was in New England. Uh, So I give it a D plus. John, also on the report card today, yesterday Andy Dalton left the game after that vicious hit he took uh, from Washington football team linebacker John Bostic. And Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys, he's their head coach, uh, he was not too pleased with his team's response following the hit Andy Dalton took. Here's what McCarthy had to say. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, I mean, a hit that uh, caused a disqualification. But, yeah, well, I mean, we, 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 we speak all the time about playing for one another, you know, protecting one another. Um, so yeah, definitely it was, it was probably not the response that you would expect. John, do you think it's fair for Mike McCarthy to criticize his players following the Dalton hit, especially after the week that was in Big D where uh, so many unnamed players were potentially taking shots at McCarthy? How do you grade just the locker room strife there? Oh, it's it's an F. I mean, that whole thing is an F. I mean, <clears throat> could you believe... I mean, completely blown away by a bad Washington team, you know, only getting three points. And the thought was, you know, people watching that game uh, thought that maybe the Cowboys, after that hit on Dalton that was not responded to, you know, didn't do anything. 
And, you know, that's not good. I mean, they just they, they quit. They didn't go after and do anything. And so I, I look at it as a pretty bad situation. You know, one where if he were a normal coach, not making nine, nine plus million dollars a year, he, he would be one and done. But uh, now, and again, I love Mike. I mean, he's one of my favorite coaches in the league. But, I mean, this is just a disaster. And then, you know, to come back, and I think that, uh, you know, what, what it has, it just, it's it. They're done. Yeah. The, this Cowboys team, if they weren't in the NFC East, they'd be looking at a potential, you know, top five pick in the draft. But mm-hmm. because they're in such a terrible division, they're only, what, a half game back of Philadelphia for first place. And they play Philly this week. Exactly. So they could potentially still be in first place after all of this mess. Uh, I, I have to agree with you, Professor. I'm giving it an F right now. The Cowboys have no business being anywhere near the top of any division. They just have to think the three other teams they're playing uh, most of the season here. It, it is just a disaster oh, yeah, with horrible. the Cowboys. Uh, speaking of bad situations, the Houston Texans yesterday losing to the Packers, uh, just not really anywhere close to, to the Packers yesterday. J.J. Watt in his postgame press conference, very short with his answers. You can talk about the way Rodgers played today and, and compare it to the ways you'd seen him play earlier in his, in, when you guys played against him. He played very well today. What did he do that, that made him play well? Threw the ball to the receivers and they caught. John, how are we grading J.J. Watt? Just very direct with his answers. Yeah, that's a, it's a C minus because again, it's like you know, at least he did answer. I mean, at least he did get on the Zoom call to at least try to answer the questions, but he did a really bad job. And you can just see he's totally frustrated. And you know, uh, I know after the game, you know, they asked Romeo Cornell what he thought about that, and he says, "Well, guess what." Uh, I think what it comes down to is that you know he just needs to get wins to get things back. Yeah, I'm going to give JJ Watt a, 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 a uh, yeah, I'll give him a, a D a D plus on this one because yeah. normally he is the, the friendly guy, the gregarious guy, always in the good graces mm-hmm. of the media. But like like we've seen in Dallas, like we've seen in other teams this year, the the Texans are stacking up the losses, and that's going to wear on you. And, and obviously things weren't going well before yesterday because they fired Bill O'Brien and J.J. Watt may or may not have had some beef with him. Uh, It's clear that J.J. is not having fun right now with the Texans, so I can understand why he is feeling the way he he is. Uh, Also, John, on the report card, the craziest World Series finish uh, to a game you may ever see, Game 4 of the World Series, uh, Saturday night. Brett Phillips, lightly used Brett Phillips up at the dish. He only had two hits on the season coming into the game, used as a pinch hitter. Uh, looked like, you know, he was going to be the hero, but then Tampa Bay's runner Randy Rosarina fell down. That's when the craziness really ramped up. One and two. Again, they're down to their final strike. And the pitch, a swing and a ball lined in the right center, a base hit. Kiermaier around third. It's booted by Taylor, a Rosarena coming home, and now he's caught. And now Smith drops the ball, and a Rosarena scores. Smith had the ball at the plate. They had a Rosarena caught, and he lost the ball. It dropped out of his mitt. A Rosarena slides in, and somehow, miraculously, the Rays have won the game. I have never seen anything like that in my life.
Probably the most crazy manic finish to a baseball game we'll ever see, John. How are we grading yeah. the absolute madness to end Game 4 of the World Series? Oh, just amazing. I mean, it's just uh, remarkable to see uh, you know how good this is. Well, I can't wait to talk to the Graz about this because uh, he had to just love this. But, I mean, the games have been close and you know, just magical. I mean, so even though it's a crazy play that at least execution would get a D, I'm going to give it a B plus because, again, it just added to what's been really fun baseball to watch. Yeah, the drama of it, i got to give it an A++. Uh, one of the just tremendous finishes we'll ever see. But like you said, the execution from the Dodgers. Uh, Chris Taylor bobbles it in the outfield, bad relay throw to the plate, and then catcher Will Smith, he, he thought he caught it, spun around, the ball flies out of his glove, allowing the runner who fell down, Randy Rosarena, to come to the plate untouched. Just a crazy, crazy finish to that one. And then finally, John, just a, a, a one of the great stories of the day, Washington football team head coach Ron Rivera completing his final cancer treatments uh, this morning before heading out to uh, go back to the team facility. So, John, how are we grading Ron Rivera completing his final cancer treatments? A, it's an A+. Plus. I yeah. mean, because, again, the fact he's been able to battle through this, I think it's only fitting that at least he was able to get – a win on the eve of this and it's good news i mean he's been able to battle through this i know he may have took an extra day or two off but i mean he was still out there coaching he didn't miss a game i mean it's tough you can see at different times how exhausted he would be but i'm going to give this an a plus a plus is all around for ron rivera congrats to him and congrats to his family uh for fighting through this because uh it's no easy task uh, when you get that cancer diagnosis. Shout out to him. Shout out to the Washington football team. That is it for today's report card. Okay, and of course, be sure, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we go into Vizzy Heart Seltzer text line, taking your text questions. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Time to go into Busy Heart Seltzer text line to take your text questions. Text us at 710-710. So, Curtis, what do we have? 206 wants to know, John, how do you think Russell Wilson's three interceptions impacted his standing in the MVP race? Uh, I still think he's number one because, again, you look at the touchdown passes and uh, everything else. So it's funny because even though this is a disappointing loss for all Seahawks fans and everybody on the Seahawks team, you know, I still look at it as they're still the number one seed, even though, at least in the NFC. And that may certainly puts Kansas City, Pittsburgh. We'll see about Baltimore you know, above them. But again, they're not competing in the AFC. They're competing in the NFC. Certainly now it's you know, Green Bay getting closer. Uh, that was a, you know, an easy win over Houston yesterday. And you know, Tampa Bay starting to catch up. But I still think they're the number one seed. And Russell Wilson's the number one quarterback. This one from the 509. They want to know, how would you grade Jordan Brooks in his return to the lineup? Well, I'd give him a B. I mean, I think that he was flying around. I thought that uh, he made some good chase down type of plays. And, you know, after missing a couple weeks to come back as strong as he did and be a playmaker, I think that was good. 253 wants to know, Professor, do you think Antonio Brown will still be on Tampa Bay's roster by week 17? Mm, I tend to doubt it. I mean, you can hear it in Bruce Arian's voice. It's like, well, if, if anything goes wrong, he's gone. I mean, if we find out anything as far as, you know, from the league and they're doing anything else, he's gone. And, you know, there's no guarantees in the contract. There's no signing bonus. All it is is a minimum salary and incentives. And so, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, any, any mistake and he'll probably make a mistake and he'll be gone. 
509 wants to know, John, is there any trade candidate out there the Seahawks could realistically trade for on defense before November 3rd? Has to be. I mean, uh, they've got to look at it. And, you know, what? It, the one thing I think we're seeing is that there are discount prices. And what I mean by discount prices is that if you've seen the last two trades, I mean, whether it was uh, you know, Steve McClendon going from the Jets over to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whether it's uh, Gerald Willis going from the Jets to San Francisco. I mean, you, you trade a six, you get back, you give, I mean, you give back a seventh. And so, I mean, you still have the net number that you have. And so it's a matter that, uh, you know, you can still you know, gain some, you know, not gain a draft choice, but not give up too much. And some of these players that are being moved, they're going to be moved at discount prices. 206 wants to know, John, in the wake of the Unique and Gawkway trade, should Seattle try to do the same and trade for Everson Griffin? Uh, it wouldn't be a bad thought, but now the question is going to be, if you're the Cowboys, and right now you're the third worst team in the in, in football, but you're still less than a game out of first place, do you make that kind of trade? But uh, I'd have to think you got to consider it. Uh, this one from the... Th- uh, oh, but from- by the way, the guy that I would do more would be uh, Alden Smith. Ooh, that'd be... That'd be an interesting one. Because, you know, Alden starts. It's true, he does. I mean, let's put it this way. Griffin's there on the team, I think, with one sack, but Alden Smith starts ahead of him. This one comes to us, John, from the 425. They want to know, how much longer do you think J.J. Watt has with Houston? Mm, I mean, this could be it because they've got to start to move some contracts because of the bad deals that were done by Bill O'Brien. You know, four wide receivers making a combined $44 million a year, $39 million quarterback, $22 million left tackle, $11 million center, and $13 million running back. And so a lot of those things have to get moved. And, of course, you know, there's nothing left on that defense other than him. And so a uh, tough spot, but, you know, they got to consider it. From the 503, they want to know, John, after his four-touchdown performance yesterday, where you would put Justin Herbert in the Rookie of the Year race? Uh, I would put him, ooh, I'd say, in, I mean, I mean, you really got uh, three main ones right now, and he'd be in that mix because he's putting up good numbers. I mean, Joe Burrow, despite having no offensive line, has put up great numbers. And then, uh, you know, then you've got uh, Clyde Edward-Hilaire, uh, in the Kansas City Chiefs, he's he's done so well. So I'd, I'd put him in the top three. Yeah, Burrow threw for over 400 yards oh, yeah. yesterday too. So he was he was looking really good. Uh, this one comes to us from. Uh, let's see here. A lot of defensive line questions today, but uh, for this one from the three six L. They want to know, John, do you think Tyler Lockett will get a Pro Bowl nod this year? I think so. Well, I don't know. I mean, because you only have four in the conference, right? And you already figure that DeAndre Hopkins is going to get one of them. And you figure maybe what it's going to come down to is DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. I mean, both of them are going to be at least Pro Bowl alternates, but it doesn't mean anything because there's no Pro Bowl. So it's not like they're going to get a chance to, you know, somebody pull out and, you know, open the door for them to come in. But both are worthy. There's no question about it. But, you know, Hopkins has one spot pretty well locked up we'll see about the rest this one from the 520 they want to know john uh do you think arizona can challenge for the nfc west title after their win last night well i mean technically i guess you say they can because you know they are five and two and one game out of first place uh you know rams are right now waiting to see how they do if they can get to five and two if they can win tonight over chicago so uh say what you want they're in the mix and they get to play seattle in four weeks 206 wants to know, what would it take to trade for Cincinnati's Carlos Dunlap? I'd say probably a sixth-round pick, and you give back a seventh. 
And the question is going to be, that's not a deal that the Bengals like to make, uh, but you're not going to give up a lot, I think, because, again, you're picking up a big salary and you have to make room to get it to fit it in. Uh, this one comes to us from the 206. They want to know, John, who do you think wins tonight between the Bears and the Rams? I think the Rams are the better team because you know, the one thing is they can score points and the Bears can't score points. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, where the good chance can be. So I'd say, uh, you know, that's that's going to be one that I think that uh, it go. But, of course, if you're, if you're Seattle, you're rooting for the Bears. 509 wants to know, after his performance yesterday, how much longer do you think Cam Newton remains the starter in New England? Mm, I think another week. I mean, he's he's looking really bad. and but, but, again, that whole team looks really bad. And so is it really going to change the equation? I mean, you've got tight ends that have, what, seven catches. You've got slowness at the wide receiver position. And Neil, Neil Harry, he's been terrible, can't run routes. I mean, it looks real bad, but I mean, you know, Cam's right now, what, how about the fact, I think he has seven interceptions and two touchdowns, <clears throat> and each week it gets worse. This one from the 253, Professor, they want to know, at full strength, who do you think would start, Michael Kendricks or Jordan Brooks? Jordan Brooks right now, I mean, because again, he's young. Uh, but then, I mean, you have the option if you can, if you need Kendricks to be able to do it, you know, because, you know, you still have Cody Barton there. But I'd say right now it's Brooks because, again, they I think they like his ability to run. This one from the 509. They want to know, John, you think the NFL should get rid of the launching penalty that Benson Mayo was flagged for? No, I think that that's one that uh, it's for safety. And when you do the launching, you have a chance to risk injury. You don't want to risk injury on a kick. So I would say no. Safety first. Uh, from the 509, they want to know, John, which NFC East team do you think is the best of the four right now? NFC East team? Yeah. Uh, whew, that's a tough one because, again, it's like uh, you know, you've got uh, Philadelphia who finished the game. The only starter that was left on offense for um, – Carson Wentz was the center, Jason Kelsey. And then you got, you know, San Francisco with all their injuries. But I'd say right now, you know, I thought Dallas would be, but they're just, they're a mess. So I'd say Philadelphia. This one from the 425, they want to know, what did you make of the unnecessary roughness call on Bobby Wagner late in the game? Uh, I mean, as as criticized as it might be, I mean, you know, the hit was not intentional, but when you saw it, the, the head snapped of the player that he hit. So I think it deserved a flag because, again, I mean, you're looking at it, you see the head snap, and, uh, you know, that that gives you the chance to get the penalty. I mean, again, it was a tight one. Probably, I mean, I I just think, what do you think, Curtis? Uh, I didn't like the call just because if the if the pass was caught, it would have been a legal play, but mm-hmm. because it was dropped, they got to expect Bobby Wagner to pull up very suddenly before making that hit. I didn't like the call. It's just it's putting too much responsibility on Bobby Wagner when if the ball was caught, it would have been a, a totally legal and fine hit. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Uh, and then finally, John, this one comes to us. From the 206, they want to know, who do you expect back first, Philip Dorsett or Josh Gordon? I would say Philip Dorsett because at this stage it doesn't seem to be optimistic on Josh Gordon because we haven't heard anything, and that's not a good sign. That's it for text questions. Okay, and of course that was on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. Coming up next, our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And time for our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. And so, 
David, uh, uh, and of course now, does the panic begin because the Seahawks lost their first game of the season and the defense continues to give up yards and not get pressure on the quarterback? Apparently. Right, John? Apparently, 5-1 yeah. and one is, uh, is a disaster. Oh, terrible. And uh, there's no hope, and they've been exposed, and, and et cetera, et cetera. I, the panic is is in full throat, and it's um, I'd say it's surprising, but it's not. No, no. I think everybody kind of you know looks at the stats and and of course the results and you know certainly it was a game that they should have won several times but they did not and uh, you know now they pay a little. Well, bit look, of I mean their, their defense is not good. I mean that's 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 not something I'm going to contend or anything. But this was the dictionary definition of a fluky loss. I mean they, they had never lost a ten point lead in the, in the second half with Russell Wilson. They'd never lost the what would Larry Stone say today in his column? There's been 255 games since the team had lost the. A game they led by ten with three minutes to go. I mean, this mm-hmm. was this was something that just was a fluke, as much as anything. And and look, if not for a really bad holding call on David Moore, it, it ends the way uh, it ends the way every Seahawks game before has ended. So they certainly do have trouble on defense. Uh, yeah. There's no getting around that, and they're going to need to be better. And hopefully, Jamal Adams will help there. Maybe they'll make a trade to do something there. But you know, this is a team that's going to survive and thrive on offense. And um, I thought yesterday was. Was was really just a, again with some of the specifics more fluky than anything else. Yeah, it really was. I mean, just a very strange game. I mean, because again, it's like just uh, so much, uh, so many times. I mean, you're right about that David Moore play because here's the great play uh, where Metcalf you know gets the ball and of course it was a hold. There's no question about that on Moore. Right, no doubt. But you know the, that was the game-winning touchdown pass, but it was called back. Right, and um, you know, so uh, again, uh, look, Arizona is what now five and two. They're they're legit. Uh, they played well. I actually, uh, in doing the predictions for the games beforehand, I picked the Seahawks to lose. My rationale was you're not going to go sixteen and zero. You're just not, and and uh, they aren't. Um, I don't I don't read as much into it as everyone else does. Russell Wilson's not going to have many three interception days like that. So. Look, defensively, they've got issues. They're not the only team in the league that's got issues on defense, and uh, I'm going to need to see a, a lot, a lot, a lot more losses before I start panicking. So, yep. No, I think you have to panic at five and one. Loss. The team's never been five and zero, oh, and so do um, <clears throat> you, you. You not you want to have the ability to lose a game, but you had the not the luxury of losing a game because again, this was so winnable. It hurts, but again, it doesn't destroy. No, no, and 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 look, I mean, they need to tighten up on defense, like we said. But you know, offensively, they they had um, they have what, what one scoring drive in the second half. I mean, they didn't they didn't play as well as they have played, and and I don't think it's something that they got figured out or anything like that. Uh, again, I think you, you're not going to win every time you play, so they need to tighten up on defense for sure. Again, you know, you hope that Jamal Adams comes back and makes a difference there. I mean, they certainly have pass rush issues. There's no getting around that. But uh, uh, it's one one game, one loss, and and I don't I don't read more into it than that. Yeah, no doubt. And so uh, I was amazed at DK Metcalf, though, man. I gotta I gotta uh, say that was that uh, one of the more incredible plays you've ever seen. Well, it it it, it is. I mean, it, it was. And and my my first reaction was the last guy I saw dominate on a football field like that was Bo Jackson. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just a guy whose athletic ability jumped out uh, among a, a team of great athletes and that was just uh it was an amazing play an amazing hustle play it's the takeaway from the game had he had the touchdown catch i mean it would have been he would have been the the total story today uh it um it just shows what a what a great pick he wound up being and, and that kind of hustle that, that sort of stuff is just 
you know, you you want to be you want to be the guy in the film room when they're showing that play. Oh yeah, and of course, I mean Tyler Lockett was just fantastic. Fifteen catches, two hundred yards. Yeah, caught everything, and um, just a reminder. I mean, had a you know a, a day that only Steve Largent had had beforehand. Um, you know, like I said, it was it was fluky that they'd have a ten point lead with, with three minutes to go and lose the game, and and you know to not be able to have two drives in overtime and not be able to get it done is just not something that that has bothered this team. So. I understand their high wire act, and and that's what they've been doing. But as Russell Wilson said afterwards, they win games like that more more often than not. Uh, they win games like that. That's that's what it's going to be like this year, though. I mean, there's there's not going to be a time this year where they're going to start beating teams 35 nothing. They don't have that kind of defense, period. And and um, so I don't I don't think that they got figured out. I don't think that they're the the woe is them. Uh, I think that they're still they're still one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NFC, and uh, they will continue to be. But they do need to make improvements on defense, and and uh, they've got what a week from tomorrow, the trade deadline, to do something. Yeah, and really, I think Mike Florio brought a good a p- good point when he said that he thinks most trades need to be done by Wednesday or Thursday because of the six day protocol period. Because you know anybody you pick up in a trade this week is unless it's done today is not going to be able to play this week. And so if you wanted guys to come in, so if you wait till Tuesday of next week, then what you're looking at is that now they're going another week later. Good point, and you you, you know you want to get that help as soon as you can because. Uh, you're in this, you know, real tough stretch of, of games, and and you've got another tough one this weekend. So, are you? We're almost at the end of the baseball because the World yeah. Series, which I know just you've been thrilled with, and rightfully so. Uh, it's Dodgers three to two, and Game Six tomorrow. Yeah, but I mean, I still still buzzing about uh, Game Four. I mean, it was just uh, an absolutely unbelievable unbelievable play at the end of that game i mean baseball can does that uh to an extent more than any other sport they can have four or five crazy things happen in a single play and and uh it won the game for tampa was just amazing and credit to the dodgers and clayton kershaw i mean they got they didn't have to dwell on it they didn't have to steward it they played the next day and kershaw came up big and and they're on the cusp now but um tampa's very very good and and uh, played very well and it's been a very good World Series so far, and I told you at the start I thought it would go seven, and nothing has changed my mind on that. you got a Seattle native, Blake Snell, who will be going in, in game six. He had a real good uh, game the last time out. He's, he'll take the pressure on, and, and I think we're going to see a seven-game series. But, boy, the ending of that game four was, was one that will, uh, will go down in history. That will be remembered for a long time. Yes. No, I thought, I thought that, was, that was really good. Where, where do you rank these playoffs compared to years in the past? I think they're really good, John. I, I think that, uh, like like we talked about, it would not surprise me at all to see baseball continue with this expanded playoff thing. I mean, it's there's nothing that beats playoff in any sports, and it's it's great in baseball. And you know, despite the the, uh, the pandemic, despite the fact that there haven't been crowds to speak of at most of the games, uh, the play has been good. And uh, I think I think playoffs, extended playoffs, are good for baseball. So. I think it's been I think it's been very good, very fun, and and I expect to see more of it in the future. Yeah, no doubt, and that that has to be kind of fun. But uh, in the end, you, as it goes seven, where it now is six, do you think the Dodgers are going to win? Well, I mean, it's when you if if they get to a seventh game, of course, it becomes a complete toss up at that point. And and uh, you know you've had World Series in the past with great seven game seventh games. You've had World Series that have gone to seven that have been duds. Um, 
it's hard not to think, though, that it's not the Dodgers' time, and that's nothing against Tampa, but eight straight trips to the playoffs. Um, they, they managed in a short season to have the best record. Um, they, they've managed to, to plow through a couple of tough playoff series and a couple of tough uh, breaks. Um, they seem due, so I mean, I would say that, that it feels like it feels like they're going to get their chance, but I'll tell you, at the end of Game Four, it felt like they weren't going to get their chance. So, uh, baseball fortunes can can um, can change at the the drop of a hat. So, I do kind of think at the end of the day, it'll probably be the Dodgers, but uh, I'm not going to be surprised if it's not. No, but of course, that's going to be fun to watch, and that's going to be Tuesday night. You'll be able to hear it on 710 ESPN at five o'clock, the World Series Game Six, and so tonight it's going to be the Rams and the Bears. And by, by the way, how how'd your thing go over the weekend? What you talking about? Uh, oh, the Facebook thing. No, the, 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 no, the, the event you had. Yeah, you're talking about the, the the thing that I did with gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It went really, it went really well. We did it right after the show on Friday. It was 24 hours to raise uh, awareness and funds for the Jamaican national basketball team, hoping to make the Olympics with our friend Rick Turner as coach in 2024. It was on YouTube. I think people can find it. It was uh, it was an amazing. 24 hours of broadcasting. You know, Kevin Calabro was on it. Brian Wheeler was on it. John Calipari was on it. Dave Sims uh, hosted with Steve Kelly. There were a tremendous amount of guests, and, and it went real well, and it was a lot of fun. That's great. So good event, good cause. Glad to see it. And, of course, uh, that's our Daily Dose of the Gros with Dave Grosby. So, Dave, let's chat tomorrow. We will. Be a good game tonight, John. We'll have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. And it's the John Clayton Show at 710 ESPN Seattle.